good to be true. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is recent discoveries in archaeology. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject, then research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We're always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We're not so good with pronouncing names, we apologize. And neither of us have any particular knowledge of archaeology, anthropology, or advanced physics. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. Let's jump, let's jump right in and start with Gobekli Tepe, because the discovery of these ruins raised questions regarding the accepted history of the rise of the human civilization. The following description from 2011 is from the ancient EU website. Quote, Located in modern Turkey, Gobekli Tepe is one of the most important archaeological sites in the world. The discovery of this stunning 10,000-year-old site in the 1990s sent shockwaves through the archaeological world and beyond, with some researchers even claiming it was the site of the biblical Garden of Eden. The many examples of sculptures and megalithic architecture, which make up what perhaps is the world's earliest temple at Gobeleki Tepe, predate pottery, metallurgy, the invention of writing, the wheel, and the beginning of agriculture. The fact that hunter-gatherer peoples could organize the construction of such a complex site as far back as the 10th or 11th millennium BC not only revolutionizes our understanding of hunter-gatherer culture, but poses a serious challenge to the conventional view of the rise of civilization, unquote. Wait, wasn't 10,000 years ago still in the Stone Age, which ended when the Bronze Age began roughly 5,000 years ago? Yes, the wheel was invented in ancient Sumer about 5,000 years ago. Stonehenge was built at a similar time, but can you describe the much older site of what is thought to be a temple? The ancient EU website continues, quote, Gobekli Tepe, Turkish for the Hill of the Navel, is a thousand foot diameter mound located at the highest point on a mountain range, ridge, sorry, around nine miles northeast of the town of Sanwertha in southeastern Turkey. Since 1994, excavations conducted by Klaus Schmidt of the Istanbul branch of the German Archaeological Institute with the cooperation of the Sanwertha Museum have been taking place at the site. Results to date have been astounding especially bearing in mind the excavators estimate that their work has uncovered a mere 5% of the site. 
Gobekli Tepe consists of four arrangements of monolithic pillars linked together by segments of coarsely built dry stone walls to form a series of circular or oval structures. There are two large pillars in the centre of each complex which are encircled by slightly smaller stones facing inward. Archaeologists believe that these pillars could have once supported roofs. The structures vary in size between around 33 and 98 feet in diameter and have floors made of terrazzo, unquote. 33 feet is about 10 meters, while 98 feet is about 30 meters. There are also large stones or megaliths that have been unearthed. There are mainly T-shaped pillars made of soft limestone of up to around 16 feet or almost five meters in height. Apparently, the limestone was quarried locally with 43 megaliths unearthed as of 2011, with 250 more expected to be uncovered. This suggested another 16 complexes existed at the site's location. What is significant about the megaliths besides being quarried in shape so long ago? The ancient EU website continues with more information as follows. Quote, Although some of the standing stones at Gobekli Tepe are blank, others display extraordinary artwork in the form of elaborate, elaborately carved foxes, lions, bulls, scorpions, snakes, wild boars, vultures, waterfowl, insects, and archinids. There are also abstract shapes and one relief of a naked woman posed frontally in a sitting position. A number of the T-shaped stones have depictions of what appear to be arms at their sides, which could indicate that the stones represent stylized humans or perhaps gods. Although the pictograms at Gobeli Teep do not represent a form of writing, they may have function as sacred symbols whose meaning were implicitly understood implicitly understood by the local populations at the time, unquote. I'm sure we have only scratched the surface, but before moving on to some more ancient ruins, what is the overall significance of this find? Wikipedia provides that information as follows, quote, Gobekli Teep is regarded by some as an archaeological discovery of great importance since it could profoundly change the understanding of a crucial stage in the development of human society. Ian Hodder of Stanford University said, Gobekli Tepe changes everything. If indeed the site was built by hunter-gatherers, as some researchers believe, then it would mean that the ability to erect monumental complexes was within the capacities of these sorts of groups, which would overturn previous assumptions. Some researchers believe that the construction of Gobekli Tepe may have contributed to the later development of urban civilization. As excavator Klaus Schmidt put it, first came the temple, then the city, unquote. Changing everything is a hard act to follow, but apparently there's a lot of exciting archaeology going on. The next recent discoveries we are going to discuss are in Guatemala, which is a Central American Republic bordering Mexico to the north. The civilization being studied is the Mayans, but who were the Mayans? The History.com website describes the Mayans as follows, quote, The Maya Empire, centered in the tropical low, lowlands of what is now Guatemala, reached the peak of its power and influence around the 6th century AD. The Maya excelled at agriculture, pottery, hieroglyph writing, calendar making, and mathematics, and left behind an astonishing amount of impressive architecture and symbolic artwork. Most of the great stone cities of the Maya were abandoned by AD 900. 
However, and since the 19th century, scholars have debated what might have caused this dramatic decline, unquote. I think a lot of people can remember the Mayan calendar, apparently ending in 2012, or rather starting over. There appears to be a lot more to the Mayans besides their calendar. The following is from the National Geographic website from February of 2018, entitled Laser Scans Reveal Maya Megalopolis Below Guatemalan Jungle. Quote, using a revolutionary technology known as LIDAR, short for light detection and ranging, scholars digitally removed the tree canopy from aerial images of the now unpopulated landscape revealing the ruins of a sprawling pre-Columbian civilization that was far more complex and interconnected than most Maya specialists have supposed. The LIDAR images make it clear that this entire region was a settlement system whose scale and population density had been grossly underestimated, said Thomas Garrison, an Ithaca College archaeologist and National Geographic explorer who specializes in using digital technology for archaeological research. The results suggest that Central America supported an advanced civilization that was at its peak some 1200 years ago, more comparable to sophisticated cultures such as ancient Greece or China than to the scattered and sparsely populated city-states and ground-based research, uh, sorry, and sparsely populated states that ground-based research had long suggested. In addition to hundreds of previously unknown structures, the LIDAR images show raised highways connecting urban centers and quarries, complex irrigation and ter terracing systems, supportive intensive agriculture, capable of feeding masses of workers who dramatically reshaped the landscape. The ancient Maya never used the wheel or beasts of burden, yet this was a civilization that was literally moving mountains, said Marcelo Canuto, a Tulane University archaeologist and National Geographic explorer who participated in the project, unquote. As this is so recent, there doesn't seem to be a name for the site, and presumably there hasn't been time for conventional archaeology. But is there more in LIDAR? Yes, the National Geographical article continues. Quote, LIDAR revolutionizing archaeology the way the Hubble Space Telescope revolutionized astronomy, said Francisco Estrada Belli, a Tulane University archaeologist and National Geographic explorer. We'll need a hundred years to go through all the data and really understand what we're seeing. I think we'll have to complete this quote after the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue after the short break and you're listening to Too Good To Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were discussing LIDAR and Dad, you were quoting from the National Geographic website about it. So can you please continue with the quote? Thanks, Justine. I'll continue. Already, though, the survey has yielded surprising insights into settlement patterns, interurban connectivity and militarization in the Maya lowlands. At its peak the Maya in the Maya classic period, approximately AD 250 to 900, the civilization covered an area about twice the size of medieval England, but it was far more densely populated, unquote. A big part of this new technology for me is that it's non-destructive. The ruins remain undisturbed by the uh, scanning. Yes, digging without literally the big picture, as in the old days, must have been much more hit and miss. But how many people were living in that region? Many more than previously believed. The article continues, quote, Most people had been comfortable with population estimates of around 5 million, said Estrada Belli, who directs a multidisciplinary archaeological project at Homol, Guatemala. With this new data, it's no longer unreasonable to think that there were 10 to 15 million people there, including many living in low-lying swampy areas that many of us had thought uninhabitable. Virtually all the Maya cities were connected by causeways wide enough to suggest that they were heavily trafficked and used to trade and other forms of regional interaction. These highways were elevated to allow easy passage even through, even during rainy seasons. In a part of the world where there is usually too much or too little precipitation, the flow of water was meticulously planned and controlled via canals, dikes and reservoirs. Among the most surprising findings were the ubiquity of defensive walls, ramparts, terraces and fortresses. Warfare wasn't only happening toward the end of the civilization, said Garrison. It was large scale and systematic and it endured over many years, unquote. With that, let's move on to the Angkor Wat temple ruins in Cambodia. The news about Angkor Wat being more extensive than originally believed broke in 2013. LIDAR was used in the area of Angkor Wat before being used in the Guatemalan jungle. What is the history of Angkor Wat? The Life Science website provides an overview as follows. Quote, built between roughly A.D. 1113 and 1150 and encompassing an area of about 500 acres, 200 hectares, Angkor Wat is one of the largest religious monuments ever constructed. Its name means Temple City. Originally built as a Hindu temple dedicated to the god Vishnu, it was converted into a Buddhist temple in the 14th century and statues of Buddha were added to its already rich artwork. Sometime later, it was turned into a military fortification. Today, it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site that scientists are struggling to preserve. Its 213-foot-tall, 65-meters central tower is surrounded by four smaller towers and a series of enclosure walls, a layout that re recreates the image of Mount Meru, a legendary place in Hindu mythology that is said to lie beyond the Himalayas and to be the home of the gods, unquote. Apparently, the area covered is four times larger than the Vatican. How many people lived in the area? The Life Science article continues as follows. Quote, 
The city where the temple was built, Angkor, is located in modern-day Cambodia and was once the capital of the Khmer Empire. This city contains hundreds of temples. The population may have been over one million people. It was easily the largest city in the world until the Industrial Revolution. Angkor had an urban core that could easily have held 500,000 people and a vast hinterland that had many more inhabitants. Airborne laser scanning, LIDAR research has shown. Researchers have also identified a lost city called Mahindra Parvata, which is located about 25 miles, 40 kilometers north of Angkor Wat, unquote. A lost city sounds like something out of an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, the HuffPost website, an article from 2017, indicates that the lost city was a mountain capital. The it referred to in the quote is LIDAR, quote, it helped reveal that the city revealed a city that reportedly found founded the Angkor Empire in 802 AD, uncovering more than two dozen previously unrecorded temples and evidence of ancient canals, dikes and roads using satellite navigation coordinates gathered from the instruments data. John Baptiste Chavance, director of the Archaeology and Development Foundation in London, who led the expedition told the newspaper, it was known from ancient sculptures that a great warrior, J. Avarman II, had a mountain capital, but we didn't know how all the dots fitted, exactly how it all came together. We now know that the new city, we now know from the new data that the city was for sure connected by roads, canals, and dikes, he said, unquote. Did the HuffPost reveal any more about the lost city? Yes, the following comments from the article regarding Mahadra Pravata might serve as a warning. Quote, Damien Evans, director of the University of Sydney's Archaeological Research Centre in Cambodia, which played a key part in developing the LIDAR technology, said there may be important implications for today's society. We see from the imagery that the landscape was completely devoid of vegetation, Evans, a co-expedition expedition leader, said. One theory we're looking at is that the severe environmental impact of deforestation and the dependence on water management led to the demise of the civilization. Perhaps it became too successful to the point of becoming unmanageable, unquote. Did something similar happen to Angkor Wat? Before we go back to Angkor Wat, I think I should mention that the images created by LIDAR are stunning. They reveal in three-day relief ancient buildings and features in the manner of satellite pictures. For those who are interested, some internet searching on LIDAR should be extremely worthwhile. Also, pictures of the jungle overgrowing ruins in the area look like they were created on a movie set. Regarding Angawa and its demise, the BBC website in an article from 2014 describes the probable scenario as follows. Quote, most striking of all was the evidence of large-scale hydraulic engineering, the defining signature of the Khmer Empire. By the time the royal capital moved to Angkor around the end of the 9th century, Khmer engineers were storing and distributing vast quantities of precious seasonal monsoon water using a complex network of huge canals and reservoirs. Harnessing the monsoon provided food security and made the ruling elite fantastically rich. For the next three centuries, they channeled their wealth into the greatest concentration of temples on earth. One temple, Pre Khan, constructed in 1191, contained 60 tons of gold. 
its value today would be about two billion pounds sterling or 3.3 billion dollars but despite the city's immense wealth trouble was brewing at the same time that Angkor's temple building program peaked its vital hydraulic network was falling into despair at the worst possible moment the end of the medieval period saw dramatic shifts in climate across southeast asia Tree ring samples record sudden fluctuations between extreme dry and wet conditions, and the LIDAR map reveals a catastrophic flood damage. Sorry, and the LIDAR map reveals catastrophic flood damage to the city's vital water network. With this lifeline in tatters, Angkor entered a spiral of decline from which it never recovered. In the 15th century, the Khmer kings abandoned their city and moved to the coast. They built a new city. Phnom Penh, the present-day capital of Cambodia." Unquote. If natural climate change led to such a decline, obviously there's, there are lessons to be learned for humankind's well-being and survival. The Life Science website from 2015 suggests that conflict was a major reason for the demise of civilization in the area. The following is a quote from Roland Fletcher, a colleague of Damien Evan, we had mentioned earlier, we're both being academics at the University of Sydney. Quote, Angkor Wat is the first and only example of an Angkorian temple being systematically modified for its use in a defensive capacity, he said. The available evidence suggests it was a late event in the history of Angkor, either between AD 1297 and 1585, along with other defensive works around Angkor, or perhaps sometime between A.D. 1585 and the, and, the, and the 1630s, representing a final attempt to defend Angkor against the growing influence of a neighboring city, Ayutthaya. Either date makes the defenses of Angkor Wat one of the last major constructions, constructions at Angkor and is perhaps indicative of its end." Unquote. Is LIDAR being recognized for making archaeology high-tech? An article from the Canadian Consulting Engineer website from 2013 suggests that it is. The article is entitled, Award of Excellence for Special Product Projects, Rewriting the History of the Karma, Karma Empire. The award went to Vancouver-based McElhenney Consulting Services, who, who introduced LiDAR mapping technology to archaeologists who applied the technology in Cambodia. Where else is LiDAR being used? In the United Kingdom and in the Holy Land. In the northwest, in the northwest of England, a Roman road has been discovered by archaeologist David Ratledge. Here is a quote from the ARC paper website from 2016. But I think we're going to have to have the quote after the break. Yes, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net.
And before the break, we were about to quote, well, Dad, you were about to quote, from an archaeologist, David Ratledge, from the ARC paper website from 2016. Yes, thank you, Justina. The Romans were notorious innovators of infrastructure, pioneering concrete aqueducts, drainage, and, of course, roads. The first Roman road stretched from Richborough on the southeast coast to Canterbury, where it went on to London, St. Albans, and up to Chester. Even today, some 2,000 years after the route was established, it is still one of the UK's main freight roadways, known, now known as the A2 and the A5. Now it is thought that there are more Roman roads, particularly in northwest England, between Ribchester and Lancaster. After only 45 years of searching, I have long, at long last found the, the Roman road from Ribchester to Lancaster, said Ratledge on his webpage. The discovery not only tells us about the Roman trade routes, but it's also but also about where they thought troops would need to be deployed quickly. It's possible that the Romans were fe fearful of Celts near Lancaster, hence a road that could be used to send support or retreat as quickly as possible was very useful. Unquoted. What has been discovered in the Holy Land? Here's a quote regarding the site of Tel Jezreel from the Jerusalem Post from 2015. Quote, combining LIDAR techno technology with old-fashioned foot survey confirmed that the site of Jezreel is much larger than previously thought. We identified a new lower Tel, extensive cemeteries dating to a number of different periods, and a series of paths or roads that connected different parts of the site to the spring in the valley below. Building on the LIDAR scans and the results of our ground survey, our 2013 and 2014 excavations exposed several phases of an early Bronze Age settlement. The remains of a monumental Iron Age building on the northern edge of the Upper Tell, with bedrock masonry blocks and an impressive interior water cistern, an intriguing medieval building or monument on a promontory overlooking the valley, and a rock-cut winery complex and other installations that underscore the agricultural abundance that is traditionally associated with the Jezreel Valley. We will continue exploring Jezreel for the next several years in order to reconstruct the long and complex settlement history of this strategically located site." Unquote. Tell Jezreel in the 9th century BC was the northern capital of Israel. With that, why don't you ask the first question? Is the 10,000-year-old site of Gobekli Tepe in modern Turkey the site of the biblical Garden of Eden? That could be said. Was Gobekli Tepe's climate and countryside much different in those times? Very, very different, yes. Is Gobekli Tepe the world's earliest temple, predating pottery, metallurgy, the invention of writing, the will, and the beginning of agriculture? Yes. How could hunter-gatherer peoples organize the construction of such a complex site more than 10,000 years ago? Basically just by organizing themselves, so giving everyone a small part of the larger job. So coming together and using their limited knowledge and combining ideas. So basically person number one would do the very jo small job of a certain thing, while person number two would do a different job. So it was a very, very organized process. Was the temple built by hunter-gatherers as today's anthropologists understand them? 
They would be considered hunter-gatherers, yes. Being able to work in an organized way, wouldn't that suggest that the people were more of a civilization than hunter-gatherers? So the thing is with hunter-gatherers is that they're seen as less intelligent, not really coming together as one group. However, even when hunter-gatherers were thought of as hunter-gatherers, they'd organize themselves in a way where sometimes some people could not provide food for themselves, so they would help each other out. So they are thought of as more unintelligent with just a similar mindset. However, even for the most, you could say the most naive, non-intelligent humans that they are thought of, there's still this process of the brain working where they're able to problem solve. Not in the exact way of today, but problem solve in different ways. So the scope of what civilizations versus hunter-gatherers is sometimes crosses lines where they're neither in one category nor the other, but kind of an overlapping category. In 2011, were the excavators correct in their estimate that their work had uncovered a mere 5% of the site? Probably closer to 2%. As of 2011, were there another 16 undiscovered complexes at the site's location? Even more. Why are some of the standing stones blank, while others display extraordinary artwork of animals and insects? Basically, just where people decided to display their artwork. So the individual different artists decided that some need stones needed more of a painting or showing the different animals and insects and what was around them, while other stones just didn't get artwork on them. How can a number of the standing stones display abstract shapes as artwork with abstract art thought of as being modern? Again, since it's very different, difficult for humans now to understand, the humans back then weren't as dumb and stupid as they think they are. So it was assumed that humans back then were very unintelligent and were not capable of thinking in different ways. However, signs like this, this show that humans were capable of thinking in many different ways. It just depended on what humans did actually display, for example, abstract art. And it also depended on if the humans were actually going to focus on survival or focus more on the other aspects of their brain, such as an abject, abstract idea or brainstorming. Are a number of the T-shaped stones with depictions of what appear to be arms at their sides representations of stylized humans or, or of gods? Some of them are, yes. Were the pictograms at Gobekli Tepe a former writing or sacred symbol? A writing in a way, yes. So not a writing you think of today, but a way to put ideas out there, yes. Were the ancient humans assisted by extraterrestrial beings? They had assistance, yes. So with the establishment of humans, there were other powers that were to be that interfered to make sure that the humans were successful, yes. With early humans being viewed as lacking intelligence and very survivalistic, what were they actually like? The early humans were actually a lot more intelligent than most people think of them today, since they had to battle the different earth elements, including survival, but also establishing their own individual different civilizations, different families, etc. So they had to battle not only the odds of survival, but also the odds of being a human and what it actually makes to be a human, which includes a more complex thinking process. Has or will the discovery of go Beckley T profoundly changed the understanding of a crucial stage in the development of human society. Yes, 100% since it would prove that humans work together. So it wasn't just the fight or flight, 
the hunter-gatherer, the very minimalistic thought process, but instead a wider goal that humans were trying to reach. Even with a gap of thousands of years, did the construction of Gobekli Tepe contribute to later development of urban civilization? Yes, and it's not only early civilization, if you want to call it that, that existed. So there were many of these early, before thought of civilizations that occurred. Does the use of new technology significantly increase the chances of finding earlier civilizations than was the case in the past? Yes, and there also needs to be note that humans always think that they're always smarter than what they have seen in the past. So humans have this concept that during evolution, they just keep getting better and better. But it needs to be thought of that sometimes there are setbacks within even the animal kingdom, for example. For example, an animal may evolve for survival, but that evolution that takes place may actually put them backwards. So humans today need to stop this concept that they are the best possible place right now instead of looking at it, that they can learn from these past civilizations and past humans, that those humans may have got some things right in different regards, too. Changing subject to the Mayan Mayan ruins in Guatemala, does the LIDAR evidence suggest that Central America supported an advanced civilization comparable to sophisticated cultures such as ancient China or ancient Greece, rather than scattered and sparsely populated city-states? Yes. Did the ancient Mayans create raised highways connecting urban centers? Yes, to make it easy for their people to travel. Did the ancient Mayans create complex irrigation and terracing systems that supported intensive agriculture, capable of feeding masses of workers who dramatically reshaped the landscape? Yes. How did the ancient Mayans, without the wheel or beasts of burden, literally move mountains? So again, that's the thinking where there's only one option. So that's the very linear thinking that if there's no wheel, there's no movement. However, there's always a different way to look at things in another perspective. So the minds looked at the way of reshaping the landscape as a different solution to the problem. So the wheel wasn't necessary in their case. They used other technology to be able to reshape that different land. Did the minds have technology that did the Mayans have technology that we are unaware of today? Yes, it didn't get passed on. Were the Mayans assisted by extraterrestrial beings? Yes. Will it take 100 years to go through the available LIDAR data to really understand what it is showing? I think we'll have to finish that question after this short break. And you're listening to Too Good To Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
to be true. And before the break, we're going through the questions and psychic insights about recent discoveries in archaeology. So, Dad, can you please continue about the questions about the Mayans? Sure, I'll repeat the question. Would it take 100 years to go through the available LIDAR data to really understand what it is showing? As long as technology keeps advancing, it may actually speed up the process, but it would take, obviously, a big group of humans to go through it. And the key to looking through this information is seeing all different perspectives. So not only having an archaeologist involved, but having many different scientists and even people from different disciplines, such as English majors, historians, even people who do tasks such as irrigation. So having all different minds put together. At its peak in the Maya classic period, did the civilization cover an area about twice the size of medieval England, but far more densely populated? Even larger, about approximately, yes. What's the Mayan population in Guatemala? 10 to 15 million, including many living in low-lying swampy areas that have been thought uninhabitable. Yes. What technology was used to connect virtually all the Mayan cities by wide causeways to allow easy passage even during rainy seasons? All that can be said is basically advanced technology that created something such as a skyway where the weather wouldn't matter at the time and it would allow access during any weather conditions so that the people could move quickly from place to place. Were the causeways heavily trafficked and used for trade and for and other forms of regional interaction? Yes, and also food, trading of goods, and even sometimes job postings, for example. So you can think of it as kind of this highway that connects such as thought of as the concept of the Silk Road. With usually too much or too little precipitation, where did the technology come from to control the flow of water via, via canals, dikes, and reservoirs? Advanced technology again. So basically the Mayans acknowledged the problem that water was necessary for any and all life and decided that storing it when there is more water and using it during the more drought times is important. So they put a lot of minds together to realize that this would solve a lot of their issues if the water could flow from place to place. With defensive walls, ramparts, terraces, and fortresses being common finds, was large-scale warfare happening over many years rather than only happening toward the end of the civilization? Yes, there was always some type of conflict, yes. Were most of the great stone cities of the Maya abandoned by the year 900 due to warfare? Sorry, I'll start again. Were most of the great stone cities of the Maya abandoned by the year 900 due to warfare, climate change, or a combination of the two? Both and the conflict was all over the place, so a lot of the people were having issues deciding what side to actually be on. What happened to the Mayan population, which possibly had been as large as 10 to 15 million? A lot of the people died out, unfortunately, so when things went wrong, they went very wrong. And without a large population to sustain the civilization, it basically collapsed on itself. Is the claim correct that the recent Mayan discoveries in Guatemala changed the history of human society? Will it take time or perhaps even more discoveries? More discoveries. A lot of people are very stubborn in their views, and a lot of people view history as unchangeable. However, history is basically established by humans. So there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be errors in the work. So it needs to be open, and people need to be open to the idea that history is actually very flexible. Anything and everything, especially in the past, where there's no one to tell you about the past, things cannot be what they seem. Changing subject to Angkor Wat, 
Was the population over 1 million people in the 12th century or later, making it the largest city in the world until the Industrial Revolution? Yes. How was such a large city built with the available technology at the time in only about 40 years between roughly 1113 and 1150? Again, different technology and a lot of manpower. Was Mahendra Parvata the city that reportedly founded the Angkor Empire in 802 AD? Yes. How was the city built in the jungle that was connected by roads, canals and dikes built in the 9th century? Again, more different technologies. So it goes back to the point that different discoveries, such as the fire and the wheel, were not the only different discoveries that moved things forward. As evident from LiDAR imagery, imagery was the landscape completely devoid of vegetation at the time due to human deforestation? There were issues with that and using resources that were not necessarily able to be grown back. Why was the deforestation necessary? Basically to make more room, so to make it able for people to have a place to stay and that different infrastructure could be put up. Were the people in Cambodia at the time aided by extraterrestrial technology? Not necessarily technology, but they were helped with different ideas from higher up powers, yes. Did the severe environmental impact of deforestation and dependence on water management lead to the demise of the civilization? Along again with different conflicts, so when a civilization elects, you can call them government officials. Sometimes things can go very wrong with the mass of population becomes divided, such as in this case. This question may be redundant, but with only primitive technology, how was the storage and distribution of seasonal monsoon water with complex networks of canals and reservoirs achieved in the cities of Mahendra Parvata and Angkor Wat? Again, more advanced technology, so it goes back to the same concept over and over again, that humans think that they are much smarter than humans that lived before. However, even in ancient times, there were some people that were very smart and put their heads together and could come up with basic concepts, such as making sure the distribution of water was happening. What happened to the 60 tons of gold contained in the temple of Priya Khan, constructed in the year 1191 in Angkor Wat? The value today of around $3.3 billion. It was hidden. Is the gold still hidden? Yes. Why did Angkor Wat's vital hydraulic network fall into disrepair? The people refused to keep up with it, so it needed a lot of maintaining, but when the workers decided that they weren't getting good or fair reimbursement for their work, then one hole created another, which created another, so they just didn't have the manpower anymore. Did this disrepair coincide with the end of the medieval period shift in climate across Southeast Asia with sudden fluctuations between extreme dry and wet conditions? That didn't play a large factor, no. So if they would have had the manpower to keep up with it, then they would have survived the different climate changes. However, that's not what happened. Is LiDAR mapping correct in revealing catastrophic flood damage to Anchor Watt's vital water network? Yes, that's where, again, the maintenance comes in, where there is a lot of issues with the system that were not fixed. Was catastrophic flood damage a major reason why the Khmer kings moved to the coast to build a new city of Phnom Penh? Including a lot of conflict, yes. In Angkor Wat, is evidence of temple conversion and other defensive works indicative of final attempts to defend Angkor against the neighboring city of Ayutthaya? That could be said. Were the attempts to build up the defense of the city made between the years 1297 and 1585 or between year, the years 1585 and the 1630s? The earlier dates.
As suggested by the 2013 Canadian Consulting Engineer Ward of Excellence for Special Projects, does the use of LIDAR rewrite the history of the Khmer Empire and of other civilizations? Yes, and it's only the beginning of the usage of it. Changing subject to Roman Britain, was there a long lost Roman road from Ribchester to Lancaster? Yes. Does the existence of the Roman road indicate that troops would need to have deployed quickly with the Romans being fearful of the Celts near Lancaster? Yes. Changing subjects to the Holy Land, was Jezreel much larger than previously believed with a series of paths and roads connecting different parts of the city to the spring in the valley below? Yes, much larger than originally predicted. Are the discoveries of a rock-cut winery complex and early installations over a long time span indicative of the consistent agricultural abundance of the Jezreel Valley? Yes. As a general question, why was temple building so important to the people of Gobekli Tepe, the Mayans and the Khmer Empire? They wanted to give back in what they believed in, so the temples weren't only important for the people but also for their belief system. So they needed a place to go worship, to keep their goods, and for people to actually go to. So if you want to honor something, basically you would build a temple for it. So you could honor a person, a higher being, or objects, depending on what the temple was used for. What can we learn from a new technology that can rewrite history and change our view of the past civilizations? Basically, there can be a lot learned, so history can rewrite itself with more accurate information based on the technology. So the problem is not going in with the belief system that everything in history is already solved and everything is written in stone. Instead, going in with the belief system that there's still a lot unknown and that the newer technology can create it easier so that the secrets of the past can be unlocked. That was the last answer. Is new technology changing history as we know it too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Well, I had no idea before this week that there was this new technology out there and there was these new breakthroughs in archaeology. I'm kind of wondering why it wasn't more uh, in, in the mainstream media. Well, with that, we're always open to new ideas from the listeners. So if anyone's more interested, going a little more depth, maybe you have a discovery in archaeology that you want to bring up as a topic, you can contact us at our Facebook page at Too Good To Be True with our first two, spelled T-W-O, or our website at TooGoodToBeTrue.net. So if you have any suggestions, if you have any comments, if you're into archaeology, anything like that, we would love to hear from you. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to next week's show.